This program deals with themes of an adult nature and is intended for a mature audience. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. We must guard against the military-industrial conflict. Exopolitics, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events. From somewhere in the desert, between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents Fairy Tales. Because the truth will set you free. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery, fight for liberty! The only thing we have to fear is fear itself! Sooner or later, though. You always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com, because you can handle the truth. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, please make yourself at home. I want to thank you, Veritas member, for making this program possible. Tonight's special guest is author, journalist, filmmaker, photographer, adventurer, explorer, expert, philosopher, and passionate advocate for truth and discovery, Robert Young Pelton. He's the author of The World's Most Dangerous Places, License to Kill, Hired Guns in the War on Terror, Adventure Travel in the Third World, Everything You Need to Know to Survive in Remote and Hostile Destinations, and many more. In the following two hours, we'll take you around the world's most dangerous places, and the not-so-dangerous too. Robert Young Pelton, who's currently in Nairobi, Kenya, will be with us shortly. To listen to the full interview, go to our website, VeritasRadio.com, and click on the subscribe button. You'll receive your login immediately, and we'll have access to everything we have to offer from day one. And don't forget to visit our Veritas store, where you can find MMS and our 8GB USB drives with Seasons 1, 2, or 3, and much more. And to get in touch with me, it's very simple. Click on the contact button of our website at VeritasRadio.com. And now, get ready to enter forbidden, deadly, and violent places around the world, 
Our guest has survived an assassination attempt in Uganda. He spent time with the Taliban and the Northern Alliance pre-9-11, the CIA during the hunt for bin Laden, and also with both insurgents and Blackwater security contractors during the war in Iraq. To discuss the world's most dangerous places and to offer a very unique perspective of the world's problems and solutions, Robert Young Pelton is coming up next. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. John Perkins, and you're listening to Veritas. Robert Young Pelton has become the inspiration and role model for a new generation of intellectual adventurers. He's an author, journalist, filmmaker, photographer, adventurer, explorer, expert, philosopher, and passionate advocate for truth and discovery. He's a former marketing strategist, product developer, and CEO of his own company. Robert's journey and expeditions accomplishing his time off turned into a career when he created the annually updated Robert Young Pelton's The World's Most Dangerous Places, followed soon after his humorous survival guide, Come Back Alive, and his autobiography, The Adventurist. Robert is executive producer and host of his series of highly rated specials for the Discovery and the Travel Channel. He has also been a featured speaker at the TED Conference, trained Navy SEALs in survival, and participated in secret special forces training. He's always overcoming extraordinary obstacles in his search for the truth, and that's our kind of guest. And to learn more about Robert Young Pelton and his work, visit his website, comebackalive.com. And directly from Nairobi, Kenya, I would like to welcome Robert Young Pelton to Veritas. Hello, Robert, and welcome. How are you? I'm doing great, Mel. Thanks. It's my pleasure to have you on, Robert. It's been a long time since I've been trying to track you down, and I found you today in Nairobi, Kenya. What are you doing there these days? I'm heading off to Somalia, and um, Nairobi is a, a convenient stopping off point for that. Yeah, because you're, you're south of Somalia right now. How, how far away are you from the border? Uh, well, it's about a uh, one-hour flight, and then to Mogadishu, and then a little bit further up to the north in uh, Bosaso, and uh, they call Puntland. But it's uh, about the only way in. You can you can come south from Dubai, but the plane is one of those Russian prop planes where the mm-hmm. pilot gets up and tunes the engine. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and by the way, beyond what I read in your bio, I, I know you had a. Let's just go back in time. I know you had a corporate career. And all of a sudden, your adventures turned into your new career. How did that transition happen? Well, I, I had uh, a company that did strategic planning and marketing, and I worked for people like Steve Jobs doing the launch of the uh, Lisa and the Mac and developed a number of companies. But I always just take a month off. So I, 
would work very very hard and difficult projects, and then to relax, I would pick what I thought were the most remote places in the world and do expeditions there. And uh, after a while, I realized I enjoyed that more than my job. And the only catch is, of course, you have to figure out how to make money at it. And uh, I basically put together a business plan that said that I could probably survive just fine by doing things like books and documentaries. And um, when I was about 40, mid-40s, I essentially retired, but then started a new career. I started with a book deal, a TV series, and a fairly large web profile done by ABC News, and it took off from there. And I know there's a lot of people asking questions regarding that area of the world that seems to be taking a lot of prominence. But before we, we go into Africa for for a large portion of the show, I know you spent some time with the Taliban since since 1995, and you even interviewed, if, if I remember correctly, John Walker Lind, the American Taliban at one point. As you know, opium production almost stopped prior to the U.S. invasion in, in 2001. Now opium production is at an all-time high. I'd like to get your opinion on this and, and the U.S. involvement in making sure they, they keep producing it. Well, I met with the Taliban back in 1995, and that was when they were just getting ready to take over Kabul, which was the, um, you know, the main town. Yeah. And they had not been interviewed before, and I thought this was somewhat of a challenge because at that time nobody had actually interviewed the Taliban. And uh, they were very different back then. They weren't as brutal, and they were more focused on getting rid of warlords and uh, bringing peace and stability to the country. And keep in mind that what we call the Taliban – were essentially the people that we backed during the war with the Soviets. So it wasn't like they were anti-American or even worried that much about America. Uh, of course, after 9-11 and after bin Laden moved there, uh, they became our enemy. A lot of time in the beginning, and then I also spent a lot of time right after 2001 with a special forces group that fought on horseback. So I, I got to see both sides of the Taliban. Now, how was the... the Well, first of all, how did you get to Afghanistan back then? How did you penetrate to to interview the Taliban? Because as you say, they were very secluded, and we never saw them being interviewed in the West until, you know, you got there. <laughs> well, the uh, the way to go into Afghanistan at that time was through Pakistan. So mm -hmm. you would go into uh, Karachi or Islamabad, and then you'd go up into the tribal areas along the border. And at that time... Um, I remember they didn't actually issue visas, so I just Xeroxed one from a visa I had got to see their enemy, you know, Ahmed Shah Massoud. Yeah. And uh, they held my passport upside down because the guy at the border couldn't read and, and waved me through. So it was a little bit easier. <laughs> so, so at the time, what was the impression of – a lot of people listening may be saying, well, Mel, this is old news, but I think it's relevant to what we're going to be talking about because Pakistan has taken uh, you know, some importance in the news since last year, in my opinion. How, what was the impression of the, the, the Afghani people, of the American people? Because as, as you know, we were their allies. We left. Did they feel abandoned once we left in the 80s after the Russians left the Soviets? Yeah, Mel, you bring up a very, very good point, and that is that uh, people who ignore history are doomed to repeat it. Yes. And and if we go back in time and we look at the 80s when we supported uh, a number of very fundamentalist Afghan groups against the Russians, uh, we didn't necessarily support their 
religious views or their political structure. We just wanted people who would fight and, and get rid of the, the Russians. And if they fought dirty, that was fine with us. Uh, those people, and, you know, we pumped in $6 billion along with the Saudis, uh, you know, respected us for defending their freedom. And when I first met the Taliban in 1995, they had nothing but good things to say about America. Yes, they had been abandoned because, as you remember, Afghanistan, after the Russians left, fell into civil war mm -hmm. and, and chaos. Uh, you know, I was invited to fight with them. And, you know, they just felt that Americans were got it, that we, we supported freedom. We didn't want tyranny. Uh, we didn't want a foreign invader coming in and, and telling them what to do. Uh, when 9-11 hit, we were more focused on the Taliban's view of women's rights and, and their sort of backwardness and tribalness, but we forgot that these people came from Pakistan, that it was essentially Pakistan who funded and supported the Taliban, who were created in the refugee camps there. And we never really talked about Pakistan as the enemy, even though Pakistan, even to this day, supports arms and endorses the idea of an Islamic uh, revolution inside Afghanistan. And I remember when the, the, and this may sound irrelevant again, but I remember one thing that really made the West irate was when they uh, destroyed the, the, uh, the, I forgot the, the actual statue. The, the Buddhist. In Bamiya. Yeah, ba yeah, Bamiya, exactly. Uh, why did they do that? Is it because they just didn't want any other religious figure there? Or is it because that millions of dollars were being funneled to, to remodel them and they were saying, wait a minute, we're such a poor country, we, we don't like you to do that when the whole country is starving? Well, you've obviously read my book because most people wouldn't know that unless they read my book. But uh, you mentioned the opium growing as well. Yes. Uh, back, back when the Taliban actually took over Kabul, uh, it was the first time they were out of their realm. And, and you know, the... the Taliban were Pashtuns, they were from the south, mm -hmm. uh, they were very conservative. When they got to Kabul, which is very modern, uh, they weren't well received. And when they pushed further north, they hit the Shia area, which is the uh, Hazara, which goes up into the Bamiyan Valley. And at that time, there was a drought and there was a lot of starvation. So the Taliban would go to the aid organizations and say, okay, we need money, our people are starving. And they found a project in which a, and I don't know if it was Danish, but it was a, it was a Northern European aid organization was going to donate something like $3 million to restore the Buddhas, but they wouldn't give it to the Taliban to feed people who were starving. And one of the commanders, who's sort of a wacky guy, uh, said, okay, you're going to just restore things? Watch this. And boom, blew up, uh, the Buddhas, which were an ancient, very beautiful monument, uh, that, to them, it was a graven idol. They could care less about, you know, these religious symbols. But the point they made was very clear that they're in desperate straits. The Afghan people were starving. Uh, the, the West had ignored them. But we saw it basically as an affront to tourism and, of course, to, to religion. Right, right. Hamid Karzai, the, the president, what's your take on him, by the way? Well, Hamid Karzai is an interesting fellow because he is very typical of what the CIA installs when we take over a country. Yes. And, you know, I've been in special forces training. I've never been in the military, but I spent a lot of time with the actual process of how we overthrow countries. And, and what, what we do is we find a, an educated, compliant, hopefully English-speaking person to put in power that will bring in a democratic process. And Hamid Karzai was that guy. His, his brothers campaigned very vigorously in Washington, where they ran restaurants. 
And Ahmed Karzai had no military background, no political background, but he came from a good family. Uh, what has happened, unfortunately, is that Hamid Karzai has watched us drop the ball, and he has picked up his game in terms of the political wrangling. He's made new friends with Pakistan, with China, with the, almost all our enemies, Iran, and he knows we're leaving. So he's not our friend anymore. So, uh, unfortunately, Hamid Karzai has taken advantage of the fact that we put him in power, and he will be in power after we leave. Now, are you ever going to leave well, America is going to leave. We we really have no economic, strategic, or financial interest in Afghanistan other than it borders Iran. And we went there to defeat al-Qaeda, which is a foreign group of fighters that were based in Pakistan and in Afghanistan. Well, we, we achieved that. We won the war in two weeks. Most people don't realize that we had a formal surrender of the Taliban after special forces basically bombed the bejesus out of them. And we were done, but we decided to stay and to do our sort of rebuilding and infrastructure improvements. And we stayed too long. We stayed for 10 years, and now the Afghans are tired. They would like us to go home, and we will. But the point is that we we have left behind a better Afghanistan, but not the Afghanistan we thought we would leave behind. Well, we can go back to the 60s and 70s when they really were happy then. What happened? What, why, what was the trigger to, to the Soviets? Of course, they wanted to, 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 to have the country for themselves. What is it that attracts so many powerful countries to get into Afghanistan, if we remove the Taliban from the equation? Well, it's, it's actually very interesting. You know, the Russians went there because they felt it was the first step to a warm water port in Pakistan. Mm. And the Russians were actually quite smart. I mean, they had puppet governments. They, they worked with local indigenous groups. And it wasn't until halfway through the 10-year period they were there that they realized, okay, we need to get out of here. So their solution was to create about a 400,000-man Afghan security force. We're doing exactly the same thing. We're, we're taking the playbook step by step. And when we pull out, and, and more importantly, when our money pulls out, uh, there will be a civil war between the North and the South because we artificially inserted sort of a Pashtun government. But unfortunately, the military is made out of Tajiks, which are the northern ethnic groups. And Karzai has alienated most of the North. And what, what, I, what I predict, and once again, if I was that smart, I'd be in the stock market, but th there is going to be a reckoning, and that will happen after we pull out in 2014. Can you please uh, be more specific? What do, you see, what do you foresee happening? And I asked you because, as you know, we had the incident a few weeks ago with the the uh, Marine who, who killed, uh, they're saying 16 people, but he's accused for, of 17. So 17 people murdered. Um, do you think this had a, 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 a tremendous effect on what things are going to look like in the next few months? Actually, no. The, the interesting thing about what's happening in Afghanistan is that Afghans are used to having foreigners there. This is not unusual to have American troops there. Uh, it's not unusual to have civilian casualties. I mean, we've killed up to 120 people in one airstrike in Shindat. Mm. This particular activity was a was a local training program for um, village security. And my guess, and this may may come out in the trial, is that they have very good intelligence. And I think the houses that he went to were involved in an attack the day before. This is a very isolated case and in a very bloody history in Afghanistan. What the Afghans really want is self-determination. They, they want to get on with their lives. They don't want to have a military force there. And ultimately, they should, you know, get on with their lives and not have a military force there. We, we serve no purpose in Afghanistan right now. We're not, we're not 
you know, defeating al-Qaeda because there is very few al-Qaeda members in Afghanistan. But do the Afghan people even know that this happens unless they're local? And I say this because I, I presume they don't have a lot of... of Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.